we do lose something when we do not even temporarily deny the Lord. We lose fellowship with the Savior. Hello, friends. I am here with the senior pastor of East White Oak Bible Church, Scott Burkle. My name is Treg Whitaker, and this is the Ask Scott podcast. Now, he's Pastor Scott to us around these parts, but uh, in other contexts, at uh, art exhibits or galleries around the uh, uh, around here, uh, you're just known as Carol's husband, right? There you go. Yeah, that's right. Carol is an that's accompanished right. watercolor yeah. artist, and uh, <laughs> but we want your uh, pastor hat on today. Okay, uh, I'll we put are, it on. We are going to answer questions about Second uh, Timothy Sunday. You were in Second Timothy chapter two, verses mm-hmm. eight through thirteen, right? And uh, Paul mentions this idea of election, mm-hmm. and I think anytime election is brought up in the scriptures, there are lots of questions that people right. have, and that was true this week. There were several questions about this doctrine of election. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first being one that's pretty straightforward: Is salvation guaranteed for? anyone who is God-ordained as elect. Yeah. Any question about election either gets a 30-second answer or a 30-hour answer. And I think we're going to go with the 30-second answer here on the podcast. And the answer is, of course, yes, salvation is guaranteed for those that are elect because it's God choosing us before the foundation of the world. But we don't know who the elect are. And what the Apostle Paul is driving at is saying that he is on mission, enduring suffering for the sake of the elect, because although he doesn't know who they are, he knows that he's guaranteed success. Uh, imagine, if you will, a, uh, a process of suffering, not even knowing if it's ever going to have any effectual result at all. Mm. That would feel like a fool's errand. But for Paul, he says, I can endure everything. And the reason is because he knows that his mission will have some fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like the doctrine of election is more of a New Testament doctrine for some reason or another. Mm. Uh, is there a plan A for the Jews and a plan B for mm. uh, New Testament believers? Uh, or is it the same means of salvation, whether yeah. you're in Old Testament or in the New Testament? Right. So some people want to think that there's been a variety of plans of salvation over time. And the answer is no. There's only been one plan of salvation. So for example, uh, if we want to find out whether or not Jewish people will go to heaven, the answer is yes, of course, if they believe in Jesus as the Messiah and that he died for their sins and, and uh, um, that he rose from the dead for them, then they are saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, but God's plan of salvation was by grace through faith from the get-go, from Adam and Eve's sin. Uh, You remember that God made clothing for Adam and Eve. There was an animal that was sacrificed. In Genesis chapter 15, we have the clearest picture of this. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, how much Old Testament saints understood of this is kind of a problem, right? We don't know exactly because it's not clear to us, but... We do know that it was by grace through faith in a coming sacrifice. In Genesis 15, again, there's this um, covenant that God makes with Abraham. And typically in those covenants, the both parties walked between the pieces of the animal. In this one, 
God alone walks between the pieces. And the reason is because salvation is through and through only by God and in believing in him. Uh, The Apostle Paul picks up on that in Romans chapter 4, verses 3 to 8. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So from the beginning of time, or the beginning of sin, we have been saved by grace through faith. Now, the plan of salvation has been unveiled for us through time until we come to the time of Jesus where we see who it is that is the one who saves us from our sin. Uh, There's some sense that uh, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to something for their salvation. And in the New Testament sense, you and me, we look back to something for our salvation, but they're both looking at the same thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Now, how is it that the Jews missed Jesus (laughs) as Messiah? One of the things that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy here. Uh, is that he was offspring of David. I mean, he's yeah. he's trying to make the point that this is the promised Messiah. And, and there is a messianic, yeah, and there is a messianic sense of this here in Second Timothy too. Yeah, um, yeah. Why does anybody miss Jesus? Mm-hmm. Is one question we want to ask. Um, Paul describes that in Second Corinthians four as saying that the uh, the gospel is is hidden. It's veiled to those who are perishing. Uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Uh, and he uses this idea of veil. And the reason he does is in the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, he's speaking specifically about Jews when he says their minds were hardened. To this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because Only through Christ is it taken away. Yet, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So there is a special hiddenness, perhaps, that we would say is true of the Jewish person. Now, it's my view that the tribulation is actually going to be a flip of that. That in the tribulation, Jews will look largely to the Messiah as Jesus, and that the Gentile will have more of a resistance. Uh, While in this current epic, it's the other way around, I think that might be reversed in the tribulation. But I don't have time to build that case today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the gospel in particular. Paul Mm -hmm. says that it's something that he was willing to endure suffering for. Yeah. Uh, But anymore, you can flip on the television uh, and see so many preachers are... Uh, presenting the gospel as something that is not something to be endured or suffered for, mm-hmm. but that will bring you a lot of prosperity. Yeah. So the question is, uh, whose gospel is it? Is it the good news about me? Um, it's for me, but it's not about me. It's God's gospel. It's about him. It's his gospel that he has saved people from their sins through Jesus' death at the cross. And that involves taking up our cross daily and following Christ. And so I would suggest that there's, while the same word gospel is used, it's a different gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul uh, draws one particular aspect of the gospel out as something Mm -hmm. that we ought to remember. Of course, the gospel includes Jesus' sinless life and his death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul says particularly, Mm -hmm. remember 
Jesus risen. Yeah. Why would he have pulled that one particular aspect of the gospel out for uh, particular attention? Yeah. Um, my first answer is I don't know. When, whenever writers leave something out, you're a little bit uncertain, but I'll give my best guess at it. He's trying to encourage a pastor here to maintain his focus. And in the midst of suffering and difficulty, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is victory, right? And so the focus of his attention in helping the Apostle Paul gain, or the Apostle Paul helping Timothy gain strength is to look to the victory that's found in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, this enduring suffering that mm -hmm. Paul was willing to undergo, yeah. uh, what are some of the obstacles that keep people from suffering for the gospel? What sorts of things mm. are we not willing to endure for the sake of the gospel? Yeah, I think that they're minimal in our era mm. right now. I think that may grow worse. I've hinted at that over several messages here in 2 Timothy. But I think the biggest one is we just don't want people to be offended by us. Yeah. And we don't want them to think bad of us. And we just don't want to go through that anxiety that's associated with someone looking down on us, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes very abruptly, mm -hmm. sometimes more subtly, but we just want to avoid that. Yes. So it's kind of a, we live a campaign of avoidance, right? We just want to avoid problems. Yeah. yeah. That would be my biggest. Uh, you used a couple of examples on Sunday of faithlessness. Mm -hmm. Peter had a moment of faithlessness. Yes. And uh, Judas was, I think, the other example of yep. faithlessness. Mm -hmm. You suggested that there are some times where genuine believers, authentic mm -hmm. Christians, are faithless. Mm -hmm. There are other times that professors mm -hmm. of Christ are faithless and they're not genuine believers. Right. You used Judas as a particular example of that. Yeah. What evidence do you have that Judas wasn't authentically saved? Yeah, so there's a couple of places where Jesus makes it clear that J Judas is one who's not going to be saved. Um, Matthew 26, 24, the Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That's kind of a pretty stark statement, mm -hmm. isn't it? Or John 17, 12, Jesus praying, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then the apostles pick up on this in Acts chapter 1 when they are praying for the person to take the place of Judas. And they say, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Mm. Mm -hmm. So those seem to be fairly clear um, scriptures that back up the notion that Judas wasn't saved. Sure. Peter's <clears throat> example then of faithlessness was his denial <clears throat> of Christ. Yeah. And one of the things that Paul particularly mentions to Timothy <clears throat> is that if we deny Christ, that he will deny us. Mm -hmm. So maybe give us some sense for what it means to deny <clears throat> Christ. Yeah. And then follow that up with, what does it mean for Jesus to deny us? Yeah, yeah. So we have a little bit of a problem here with that word deny. Um, I'm going to suggest that in this hymn that's being um, quoted by Paul here in verses 11 to 13, that when he uses the word deny there, he doesn't just mean some kind of 
temporary denial, but something that's more akin to the Judas kind that's mm. just never professed genuine faith. Okay. Um, I, I, I think that the last one, if we're faithless, that kind of does both things, right? I explained the, the both and kind of idea there in that one. But um, I think that if we're going to ask, does Jesus deny me every time I deny him, um, we would be um, mistaken if we think that, well, every time I sin, that means I lose my salvation, yeah. right? I don't want to give people that sense because it's just certainly not true in the Bible because the Bible does say, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. You know, even after we believed, we're just lying to ourselves and to God. Um, but we do lose something when we do not even temporarily deny the Lord. We lose fellowship with the Savior, mm. a closeness, which is what 1 John 1, 9 is all about, mm. that restoration of fellowship. It's what John 21 and the restoration of Peter was all about. Peter, uh, uh, Peter do you love me? Jesus asked mm. three times. It's that restoration of fellowship that happens. And so I think that when we think about this word denial, in the context of 2 Timothy 2, I think it's about that utter denial of the Lord that leads to judgment, right? But when we think about the word denial in general, it can include both things. And what we need to understand is that God loves us even when we sin. And that there is a loss of fellowship that we will feel. I think the most miserable person is the genuine believer who's not in fellowship with his Savior. And that God longs for that rest restoration to happen through repentance and, and confession. That's great. Thanks, Scott, for being here. Mm. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the Ask Scott podcast. We look forward to you joining us again when we will answer your questions about 2 Timothy with Pastor Scott.